Hello Church, thanks for joining us on podcast number four. We are so excited to be here. We had to skip last week because of sickness and all kinds of other things, and David was out of the office. And if David's not in the office, this probably is not happening because we don't know how to do all of this. My bad, y'all. Truth. So we are back this week. We're excited to do our, our podcast with you guys, and we have a special guest today, and we have Stephen Pena here with us, and he is going to jump in on our podcast and go through Proverbs 4 with us. So I'm excited to have him. Thanks for coming, man. Hey, appreciate it. Appreciate the invitation. Anytime. You, you just want to come and be a part of our weekly podcast, you can just become a part of the Methodist podcast. <laughs> you know what? I, I, you might regret saying that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Just in case we have someone listening that doesn't know who you are, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm a pastor at First Assembly, and uh, I'm set on a variety of boards, so I've, you know, um, I used to work for probation, so if you're in jail, I, I might have met you at some point in time. You know, sometimes it was really funny whenever I, I used to do that and pastor at the same time. So I would see somebody and I couldn't remember. Did you come to church or did I take you to jail? Which one did I, I can't remember. All right. So this, it was this, a pastor. this podcast needs to be uh, a requirement for their probation. Yes. You must listen to That'd all weekly podcasts. That'd be cool and unusual punishment. Some people like this. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. I don't want that probation. I'll take jail time. I'll just, I'll just run it. Jail. <laughs> but it's 30 years in jail. I'll take it. <laughs> don't want to listen to Pastor Ryan Ford for 30 years. God. <laughs> Sounds like an awful sentence. This is going to be fun. I'm excited to be educated. All right, so we are going to jump into Proverbs 4, and I've got some questions on it, and we're going to break it apart. So let's let's go ahead and jump into Proverbs 4, and we're going to read through the whole chapter, verses 1 through 27. It says this, Hear, O sons, a father's instructions, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender the only one in the side of my mother. He taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and he and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your lives, your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. If, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it, and do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of righteous of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. All right, before we, we 
jump into this. I love that the first part of wisdom is to get wisdom. <laughs> I love that. I was going to say the same thing. I just love the the simplicity there, but also just kind of the boldness of you want wisdom, get wisdom. Like right. it's that simple. I'm I'm kind of curious to what the responses would be if somebody came in here with with needing insight and you just say, well, you just need to get insight. <laughs> like the old uh what was it 90s or early 2000s uh got milk um campaign it's just that simple right. got milk that's true, that's true. Get got wisdom. wisdom that's right got wisdom. all right so one thing that i really want to point out here at the beginning uh and and that i had notes on was the idea that wisdom is an inheritance that is passed down from generation to generation so one thing that we've gone over the last several weeks over this is a lot of these proverbs right now are pleas from a father to a son, and he's trying to pass wisdom on. So it is something that is is inherited from from your parents. So parents play an important role in the spiritual maturity of their children, and I, I wanted to make sure to point that out because I did a, a sermon several years ago, and it was the the over the concept of how important that role is. And if you take and you, you figure out how much time a child spends in church and how much a child spends at home, it's, it's crazy to think about because as, as a youth pastor, David will definitely understand this. Parents so often want you to fix their kid. Like they bring them to church and they're like, okay, you fix their problems. Whatever it is that they're dealing with, you are the solution to that problem. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, if a child goes to church from the ages of 5 to 18, and they go one hour a week. So that's just on Sundays, never on Wednesdays. That is 600 hours in, in that span. So they might come to church before that, but they're in the nursery before that. So these are more developmental age, right? So 600, if they come twice, so that means if they come on Wednesdays and Sundays, then that's about 1,200 hours over that span. However, during that same span, the amount of time that they spend with their parents and this is just spending uh, four hours a day, seven days a week. So it doesn't, it doesn't account for Saturdays being a little bit longer if their parents don't work and their parents are at home or Sundays or anything like that. It's just four hours a, a day, seven days a week. It is 20,000 plus hours at home. So if you think about the instruction time that you have as a parent versus the instruction time that the church has with your kids, the impact that a parent is going to play in the life of their children is in many ways so much more impactful than what solely a church can do by itself. However, when you put the two of them together and the, the church helps build the, the relationship of the parents and the parents help build the relationship of the child to the church, then that works, works so well together in building solid believers. So whenever I was going through this and, and thinking through it with the rise in, in broken homes and struggling families and, and families that don't go to church anymore, that, that they have broken away from the church. Because for me, I didn't start going to church till seventh, eighth grade. So the amount of hours that I had in the church, even going two or three times a week, didn't even come close to the 600 plus hours. But with, with all of these things happening with broken homes and, and struggling families and unchurched families, is it more difficult today for kids to find a foundationally solid belief in God than maybe it has been in years past? So what are y'all's thoughts on that? Do y'all feel like it's more difficult? Do y'all feel like it's the same? Do you, do you feel like there's just always going to be that struggle? Or what are y'all's y'all's ideas on that? You know, I think uh, personally, I mean, that's it's a really difficult um, question to answer because of the fact that the world is so different. You know, when you think about um, girls actually being for sale right now, being transported on slave ships right now, just like Africans were back in the 1800s. Right. The world really hasn't changed very much. It just, it may be a different segment of society. It may be 
it may look a little bit different. The ships look different, but really, the way people are treating humanity is is the same. Right. You know, and, and going back to the same, you know, the whole Sunday school concept in and of itself. We know it's only what um, 116, 80 years old. You know, and really in the beginning it wasn't even for Christian education as much as it was, you know, just you know, homeless street kids getting the chance to get reading and writing math. Right. And so, you know, I think that people have a concept of what church does or what church is that, uh, or what it's supposed to be, that, um, and that's where we as a, as a uh, as church leadership, you know, all of you guys know as much as I do that we have to constantly be reminding people of what church is and what church does and what it doesn't. Right. Because people will come in with a concept of what it is or what it's supposed to do, and then they become disillusioned. But the reality is that, um, you know, when you look at, uh, I find Proverbs just fascinating for several reasons. But one of the reasons I find it fascinating is because Proverbs doesn't say this, but what it is, is one person talking and one person listening. Right. That's what it is. The culture today is not about, it is about everybody needs to be heard. Everybody needs to be heard. You know, when you, when you have, whether you have celebrities or have, you have athletes, and they'll use these powerful uh, social media platforms to, to bring awareness to certain things. And that's not a bad thing. I'm certainly not criticizing that. But the point is that all of society wants to be heard. But the question is, who's listening? Right. But when you go back to Proverbs, what you find is a culture that took one document, the law, the Torah, the first five books of what Christians call the Old Testament. Um, they, they took one document, and it was an education document they taught their kids to read from. It was a social, it, it built a societal structure. It was a, it was a, a, a government legal document. It was a religious document. It was one document that did everything. And so when I read Proverbs, I always picture it in my mind as, as, as this father talking to this older son, but probably more than likely in reality, he was much younger. Right. Which le leads me to believe that that society elevated conversation, even for its younger, but that younger generation was taught to listen. Mm -hmm. And I'm not quite sure that we as a society teach people to listen. So I guess going back around to what you're asking, is God harder to find when you have a society that wants to be heard, but has never been taught to listen, obviously that's gonna make it harder to teach anybody, right. much less find a God who's trying to speak, but you, nobody can hear him because they talk too much. Right. And so <clears throat> I'm not sure he's harder to find as much as people make it more difficult when everybody wants to be heard, but nobody's listening. Right. And I, I, that's what I love about Proverbs is you know, it, it, it convicts me as a parent, but it also convicts me as a person right. because of the fact that um, it, it, it's, it's and, and your church may be completely different uh, uh, from when, the way I grew up, but uh, man, I, it was all about, you know, go into the world and tell them, go into the world and tell them, go into the world and tell them. No, somebody forgot to tell me that God is a good listener and that I need to display as much of that characteristic of God as making sure everybody gets to hear. Yeah. And, and I, the church is great at talking and telling everybody this is what we believe and this is who we are and this is what we offer. And, and this is, this is you, know, you need to hear our worship team, you need to hear our preacher, you need to hear, you need to hear, you need to hear. But when do we listen? When do I display that characteristic and that nature of God right. that, that, that I listen? And, and I think the church is just as much guilty as, as the rest of society as, as not being very good listeners sometimes. Right. What I have to say is the most important thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And and we definitely get that from culture. I mean, you just look at, and this is not getting political at all, so this is not where I'm going. But if you look at the presidential debate that, that was on exactly everywhere, right. I mean, that's all they did. They just talked. Like, nobody listened to anything. It was just complete one person talking over the other person simply to be heard. Mm -hmm. and, and there was no listening. There was no imparting of wisdom it was just let's see who can talk the loudest and talk the most and then maybe that person might win the debate mm -hmm. and it, it was it was insane it was nuts but i feel like you're exactly right mm -hmm. the believers well really anybody period has such a, a strong 
idea that their opinion is the most important thing, mm -hmm. that they will do anything to get it out, even if that means walking over someone mm -hmm. to get that opinion out. And, you know, it, through all of Proverbs, it's seek wisdom. It's not impart wisdom. Mm -hmm. It's seek wisdom. Mm -hmm. And that, that you have to listen to do that. And you have to you have to make that a part of your life and going and finding that wisdom. But you can't find that wisdom if you're constantly talking. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is great. Yeah, it, it's, it's amazing to me. You know, when you look at um, John 14, 26, when, when Jesus says, um, do not let your heart be troubled and you will be afraid. Um, that statement alone he is basically, it's a command, it's not a suggestion. Mm -hmm. So Jesus basically is telling us, you have the capacity to control your emotional state. And then you have Solomon in Proverbs saying, get wisdom. Throughout the scriptures, there is this, and that's really what church is, 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 is this understanding that Humanity has the capacity to be self-aware, to be in control emotionally. Paul goes on later to tell us uh, to, to bring your thoughts into subjection. And so we are, um, we, we are taught so much throughout Scripture. You have the capacity to control what you think. You have the capacity to bring into control what you feel, you know, and, and, and Solomon is saying, get wisdom. And, and there is a, man, there is so much, um, gosh, I don't even know how to say it. We have lost our ability as humanity to control what we feel, how we feel. Do we, do we even, when you, when you ask somebody, why do you feel that way? Well, I don't even know. There's, a, there's an emotional shallowness. There is a lack of self-awareness. There is a lack of so much, of, of, uh, lack of self-control. You know, uh, it, it's, it's incredible. And, you know, when we get back to Proverbs and Solomon telling his son, get wisdom, really what he's teaching him is that you need to make sure you do not ever think, you do not have the capacity to get what you need right. because God has made it available to you. Yeah. And I think there's a, a shallowness in all kinds of different aspects, emotional, spiritual. I mean, you look at it, even in the church, you're, you're, you can have a, a mega church of 5,000 people. And in reality, you've, you've got a river that's a, a mile wide and an inch deep. And the, the, the scriptural knowledge and understanding of what it is that they actually believe is really shallow. Mm -hmm. They just, they just know the simple fact that Jesus died for me and I don't want to go to hell. But this, this text right here absolutely does away with, with what I think is, is we live in a, a day and age of, of and I, I'm, I may be critical of humanism right now, I don't know, but do it. <laughs> I think I, I think we live in an Old Testament. We have reverted to Old Testament ways in the New Testament church. And what I mean by that is when you go back to the Old Testament, you look at Moses. Moses would climb to the top of the hill, get this message from God, and come back down and deliver it to the people. You're exactly right that you have people that come show up at church every week because we want to know what did God say? What did God say? You're the sage on the stage. You tell us. Right. And. And where is, we are living in, if, if, if Bona is right, we are living in the most biblically illiterate generation in a very long time. Yeah. And, and when, I, when I made the statement earlier, I think that uh, that's what church is supposed to be. Church is supposed to be a time of self-evaluation. On a week-to-week -week basis, we have a word of God that is delivered. And if it's delivered not cerebrally, but spiritually, well, a, a combination of the two, then really what we have the ability to do is we have the ability to receive that and search not only myself emotionally, myself spiritually, and, and finding the error in my thought patterns. And so I should, I should leave church completely in touch 
with who I am and where I am, not only in and of myself, but in my relationship with God and my relationship with other people. I sh- I, there should be a self-awareness every week. My fear is that people are coming to church, and if I didn't feel anything that clicked with me, is that I didn't get anything out of it. Right. And, and there is a lack of understanding that you and I, on a regular basis, we need to be able to. And that's, that's what keeps people back from accomplishing great things, from pursuing dreams, pursuing ambitions, getting in touch with what God, why God created them, is we have lost the ability to become self-aware. Because when I am self-aware, you go back to our Genesis 126, which is, you know, the uh, Imago Dei. And, and, and when we, we I, I, my fear is that we don't understand that. From the very outset, we don't understand that. And, and, and we're coming to church, and we're not, we're, we're not leaving any more self-aware than when we came in. Right. We're coming for the wrong reasons, and, and that's what keeps me back from being able to accomplish anything supernatural in my right. life. Right. And it's crazy how, how illiterate the society is with the availability that there is today. I mean, there, there are Bibles in, in so many different languages and, and on our phones, and there's a church on practically every stinking corner. I mean, there, there are at least 30 to 45 plus churches just in Snyder, if you count the little tiny ones. And I mean, everybody has an opportunity to go and, and has a Bible in hand, and yet still there's, there's so little knowledge. And I loved your I loved your Moses going up to the mountain because all I can think is people come on Sundays and then Monday through Saturday everything goes to to you know being nuts because people just go crazy Monday through Saturday and then they come to hear God's message and yet Monday through Saturday they worship their golden calf. Yeah. They go out and they they do whatever it is that they they want to do or or feel like doing and then they they just get right for whenever they come to church. Mm-hmm. Well, and I almost wonder, have we as church leadership done a disservice in focusing so much on God's love, which is true that people think, oh, it's okay. I can do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want as long as I come to church on Sunday and I can experience God's love and he's going to forgive me and all that, then I can do whatever I want. That's not true. Makes my heart hurt. Well, you know, it's, it's, and I, and I say that, you know, when you look at um, did did a generation before us create a culture where you come in here and here's where God's presence is. Right. And um, and, 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 and then we, we, we created all this, um, you know, church centered activities and we discipled people that. Um, this is where evangelism is, this is where outreach is, this is where worship is, this right. is where, and we made everything so here-focused, we taught right. them that. Right. And, and only these people can disciple, yes. only these right. leaders. Absolutely, and, and yeah, absolutely, and, and, and you know, uh, unfortunately, there's, there is, we created, we, we built the platforms, we built the pedestals that our generation now is having to tear down. You know, and, 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 you know, you, um, anyways, that, that, that's all my own pet peeve, but, you know, uh, there's a sacrifice that has to happen at some point where we don't build our audiences off of light shows and, 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 um, you know what I'm talking about, entertainment. Yeah. There's a sacrifice that has to happen at some point that somebody's got to has got to be able to. And I, I think Francis Chan is kind of leading the way in that in that, in that sense of going back to the little house churches mm-hmm. concepts of, you know, yeah, I think he's the one who said it. You know, we 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 built this big big mega church, but how many preachers were in there that came in and listened to me every week, and how many musicians? And I have asked myself that question when you look at some of these humongous churches, and you think to yourself, you know, there's ten churches that could use one one musician. And how many musicians are sitting in that church week after week after week and never use that talent? Right. You know, but um, we, we've, we've created this concept that that's what church looks like. Right. And, and um, we've got to get back to the day when we, when we have to um, remind people that the true discipleship and true, true Christianity is lived out 
Monday through Saturday. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'm going to keep hiding. Well, and breaking down those systems is not easy. And, you know, I, I don't know exactly how it works uh, at, at your church, but especially in ours, I know that making any type of change, it is kicking and dragging and gnashing of teeth and throwing fits and because that's the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. And we, we just did a series called That's the Way We've Always Done It. <laughs> and we that's went over fine. those things that we can't just make that statement of that's the way we've always done it. Because if we do that, then we miss out on what God is doing now right. because we're so focused on what God may have done in the past. Right. But having to reprogram those things and rethink the way that we do church is hard. It's difficult. And it's, it's difficult for people sometimes to jump on board with. It, it, it is, you know, but at the same time, you know, you turn on there, it takes five miles to turn an aircraft carrier. And, and that's where, you know, in, you know, when I first went to first assembly many years ago, uh, I was at a little church, a little uh, Spanish church. Les is aware of this. We've known each other that long. And, 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 you know, when, when I was there and God began to deal with my heart, I want you to merge these two churches together. I told God, you have lost your ever-loving mind. <laughs> right. There's no way. And the reason is because we had liberty and we had freedom and we, you know, uh, uh, you know, we we had already established this idea of, you know, we're going to do whatever it takes, whatever that looks like, to reach the unchurched, the dechurched. That's what we're going to do. Right. And I felt as though perhaps, and and I was being judgmental. I looked at first someone. I said, no, there, there's entrenched and there's there's these ideologies. You know, there's the, the, these traditions that are on the same level as biblical truth. And, you know, no, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. And it was, it, was, it was completely different than that. But the reality of it is, is there comes a point in time when we realize that this process of what you're talking about, it's, it's the long haul. It's the long haul of just biblical teaching and, uh, and of uh, a lot of conflict resolution skills. And, right. Uh, you know, and 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 being okay with understanding it's going to take a long time. You know, when you look at Jesus and his ministry, um, yeah, he was revolutionary in a lot of things, but there's a lot of things he left the same. Mm-hmm. You know, when there was slavery when he came, and there was slavery when he left. Right. There was in there was child prostitution when he came, and there was child prostitution when he left. There was a lot of things that he understood was was going to take longer than that. He had to figure out what is the most important things I can do right now. Let's do those things. And over time, we can begin to deal with the rest of the things. Right. And I think as sometimes, uh, you know, I know I, um, there was a lot of things I wanted to change really, really fast and really, really quick. And the Lord really had to pump the brakes on me a few times and, and remind me, hey, I need you to stick with the majors and I'll deal with the minors later. Right. And, and you know, I, I think that's the beginning of it is, you know, with, with uh, Solomon talking to his son, going back to Proverbs 4, is get wisdom. Okay, well, he doesn't explain what that looks like. How am I going to know when I got it? He, he just, he's just, let me just, let me just give you the highlights. And as you grow, questions will begin to arise. And I'll never forget when people started getting saved and the church was growing and it was all this college age group. And the church, because when I got there, the church was, you know, there were 12 people Sunday before I got to first assembly and, and most of them had white hair and grandkids. And, and, and six months into me being there, we had, almost doubled the size of the church and they were and they were all in their early 20s and and by that point they were like forget whatever I thought man let's just go with this whatever this is and it takes it takes those kinds of moments where I'm just going to give you the basic basics right. and then as time goes and as we begin to see what God is doing the questions will begin to come out of those experiences and and anyways and there's this indelible God gives those indelible proofs that I'm in that Right. So I'm sorry. No, okay. no. All conversations are great conversations here on this podcast. <laughs> as long as this conversation is not just a monologue. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Or just, you know, absolute silence for 10 minutes. <laughs> that's awkward. While, while we just sit here and look like, okay, who's going to talk? Who's going to say something? So no, don't apologize. Yes. Um, I find it funny of your comment about going into the assembly of God, because that was my comment of becoming a pastor in the Methodist church was I, I see the method. I was a part of the Methodist church 
that's where I started going and I never stopped going. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it and I, I look at scripture and I, I read scripture and I know what the church should look like based on scripture. And I look at the Methodist church and I was like, this isn't even close. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, to go into the Methodist church would mean years upon years of struggle to make change. Mm -hmm. I'd much rather just go start something fresh mm -hmm. and go ahead and just establish it with what I feel it should be mm -hmm. rather than going through the process of trying to change it. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's when God was like, well, that might be true, but I want you in this arena. Mm -hmm. I want you in the Methodist church mm -hmm. because I want to, to guide you through that and, and be a part of that. And if you feel like this needs to change, then I want you to help be a part of that change. Mm -hmm. And I was like, nah, I'm okay. I won't do either. I'll just stay here. I'll just do nothing. <laughs> you know, I find it funny that um, more times than not, and it's not even just in, in a leadership pastoral role, but I have so many conversations with people who are like, yeah, but church is doing this one thing and I wish they wouldn't. And because they're doing this thing, I just don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to be a part of that. And I'm like, do you ever think that maybe God put that on your heart for a reason? That maybe you're the person who could spark the change? That doesn't mean you have to go and be this revolutionary, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. change the entire scope of things. But what if you had one conversation? Or Martin Luther. Yeah, or Martin Luther. Either way, if your name's Martin Luther, you're going to do something <laughs> great. <laughs> but uh, um, you may have that person or you may just be that person who sees something that nobody else sees. And then you have a conversation with somebody that goes, you know what? That's a good point. I, I can do this. And then another person comes in. I can do this. And before long, you get a whole team of folks who are attacking this problem that maybe only you were able to see. And if you would have bailed on that, it would have never changed. If anything, it may have gotten worse. And so I'm, I'm constantly convicted of this idea of, if it annoys me, there's probably a reason, and I'm probably supposed to do something about it. I think one of the hardest things for any any church to, to, to tackle is when we make culture biblical. Right. And that that you know when I when I got saved, I wanted to know Christ. I didn't want to know uh, a movement. I wanted to know Christ. I wanted to know Jesus. I wanted a personal relationship with Him, and it, it, I went through a, a period, a season of untangling my preconceived notions, my ideas, what I had been taught, what I had seen from what was actually biblical. And um, so often, you know, when, when, when church conflicts arise or whatever the case may be, somebody gets mad at something or other, the first question I always ask them is, well, what does the scripture say? What does the scripture say? Because if what I'm upset about is out of alignment with the word of God, then you're wrong. Right. And even if you are right, but you handle it wrong, you're still wrong. Right. And, um, you know, the, the, the hardest thing for us to do is separate culture. And that's why I think it's so important. One of the things that we've tried to do over the years is I'll get uh, a, a group of leaders from the church in a room and bring in two brand new converts and in, into this room. And we just sit there and we just talk about what we do as a church. How do we do it? And, and, and the reason I have those two new converts in the room who are who typically, we typically reach people who are unchurched, like they, they, they just haven't been to church. And I'll ask them, what do you think the purpose of that is? When I say this, what do you hear? Because as you're talking, you know, we, we can get in these ideas that, you know, well, everybody should understand what I'm saying, well, everybody should get what I'm doing. And, you know, everybody knows why we do this. And, 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 and so it, it's, I think it's good for, um, leaders who have been in who have been in positions for a long time to hear from these people, constantly being reminded. You know what? I forget sometimes that people don't know what what we're doing here, what that means, or the purpose behind that, or whatever the case may be. And it, it gives really gives us the opportunity to stay fresh, to really make sure we're saying things correctly, well, and. Uh, it's, man, I've been in this thing a long time, and my mind is focused on that, that that unchurched person sitting in that seat. Man, I forget sometimes, you know, that, you know, I say certain phrases or I do certain things, and I forget to explain what I mean by that. And so I think it happens to the best of us. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, uh, 
had kind of an interesting conversation um, when I was uh, speaking to the students on a Wednesday night. I was talking about the creed. Um, we, as a Methodist church, recite the Apostles' Creed yeah. almost every week. And I remember coming in from the Baptist church, um, not knowing anything about this. We never recited a creed ever, um, barely ever said <laughs> the Lord's Prayer. I mean, I had to, I learned it when I came to the Methodist church. And so there's a part in the Apostles' Creed that says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And my Baptist card went, whoa, what? <laughs> like, where am I? I thought, I thought it said Methodist Church. And so I didn't even know what that meant. And so I was, and that same day we did a baptism and, you know, us Baptists like to, to dunk and they did a sprinkling and I was like, oh, what in the world are you doing to me, God? Like, why am I here? And I was just so confused. And it wasn't anything that was, you know, faith shattering or anything. It was just different, yeah. you know? And so I was kind of casually talking about that. And then Ryan and I spoke about it a little bit afterwards and it was just kind of this thought like, how many people get tripped up by that one statement? Because I'm by no means the only non-Methodist to walk in this, you know, in these doors. Actually, our church is comprised of a lot of former Church of Christ. You know, they might get tripped up by that. You know, and so you start thinking about the language and the things that we say and do almost ritualistically, even though we're not supposed to. Um, sometimes I think we we do it so often that we we lose the meaning behind it and we forget. Um, and we I stop just, teaching the meaning. Yeah. So we have to just remind ourselves as leaders, take a step back, make sure people are understanding because it goes back to your first point. They can listen all day, but if they don't understand what's happening, are they, are they experiencing real change? Right. Most definitely. You know, it, it's, it's, um, it's interesting, you know, whenever, um, I had somebody come into the church once and and um, uh, God had been dealing with me about preaching on the issue of giving and, you know, the, the principles of the different offerings of the Old Testament and how we give, you know, financially in the New Testament and all of these things. And, and I was like, God, you know, I don't want to talk about money and blah, blah, whatever. And then weeks went by and God kept dealing with me about it. And I was like, God, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't think this is a good idea. You need to ask me my opinion. And, and of course, you need to hear what I'm saying. God. I'm telling you, you know, you come down here, let's talk. And, um, anyways, uh, after service was over, this new couple that had been coming came up to the front and they said, and they, they just walked up and they said, you know, we, we have a question. And I said, sure. What's, what's the deal? And they said, well, you know, we've been coming for a little while now and, and we hear you talking about, you know, we, you know, we take up offering. Is there a certain amount we're supposed to be giving every week? And I was like, you guys really don't know a lot about New Testament giving in there, huh? You don't, don't really know about it. And I was like, okay, you got, got <laughs> one, Stephen, zero. Okay, I, I got it now. You know, it, it, but even something as simple as giving, God has had to remind me over and over and over again that there are things that people walk into church. Because, again, there was two people who had never been in church. They, they, they had just ended up coming there if somebody invited them and they kind of went to get everybody off their back and they went and they ended up giving their life to the Lord and changed their life and their family. But um, even things like giving, they just totally, they didn't know, you know, am I supposed to just, you know, is there a certain amount I'm supposed to be giving? Is there, is there a charge for how, how many services you come to or, right. <laughs> you know, right. or even the why behind it? Like, is, is it like a country club membership or, you know, am right. I paying to be here? Right. But I, you know, I just forget, you know, because I've been in church my whole life and I think, you know, there are probably certain things that they don't understand, you know, maybe lifting of hands or standing while, you know, while we sing or whatever the case may be, you know, maybe they don't understand certain things, but um, God just has to constantly be reminding us. And like you said, sometimes we, we, especially as ministers, there's so much to talk about and to try to figure out what are the things that I need to talk about. Right. Is, is, is it can be really difficult. Okay, I think one of the, the greatest assets that I've had in coming into this church is whenever I first started, I pulled in, I pulled all the staff in, I pulled in um, our secretary, I pulled in uh, Phyllis who, who helps with the secretary and I pulled them all in. I was like, okay, y'all know the church 100% better than I do. I was here 12 years ago for two years. 
that's how much I know about this church. Mm-hmm. Y'all have been here a lot longer. Linda and Phyllis for sure. And so we sat here and we're like, okay, what does the church need to know? Mm-hmm. What do they need to learn? Where do we need to try to lead them in? What are what are some aspects that you feel they need the the most wisdom in? And we just sat there and we just put down topics and we put down things that they needed to to have discussed. And that's how we came up with our, our list of, of teachings for the next year mm. is just off of their wisdom about the wisdom that the church might need. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be such a blessing because then I didn't have to sit here and just rack my brain of, okay, I've been here for three months. Mm-hmm. What does this church need to hear? Mm-hmm. And, and going off of that limited scope of what I've seen. Mm-hmm. But when you pull everybody else in, you, you have with, with the two ladies we brought in, we have 30 plus years mm-hmm. of understanding of the church that they can say, well, this is the history of the church and this is where we've been. And this is where some of our uh, misalignments with scripture might be. And this is where we need to try to fix those things. Mm-hmm. So that was invaluable. Yeah. You know, I, when you read in Proverbs 4, one of the things it says is you look forward, don't look to the right, don't look to the left. You know, over and over, when you, you know, something else that you can think of when you think of, of Proverbs 4 is the wisest man that ever lived is talking to his son. So he's telling him, these are the most important things in my mind that you need to know. When, when the wisest man that ever lived, well, second to Jesus, of course, but at that time, when he's talking to his son, he talks to him about human relationships. Don't get distracted and make sure you're looking forward. And in, you know, I know when, when in the past when I've done, you know, a year's worth of preparation, I used to divide the year up into, you know, uh, theology and then, and then human relationships and then um, the individual life of the individual believer and then the, the us as a body of Christ. You know, I made sure that during that year, those are the four areas that I would touch on. Right. Um, and then, and then, at another stage, you know, you, you, we, we all find different ways of trying to figure out. Okay, what do we need to talk about? Because it's harder than what people think. You know, when you're really good at something, the problem is you make it look easy. Then the people take you for granted. You just got to talk about Jesus. Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. Just talk about Jesus every week. <laughs> Absolutely, it should be easy, right? I mean, That's right. You talk for a living. You work hour, an hour a, a, a week. That's right. All you do is pray. <laughs> but it's hard. You know? I get that all the time. Like, you would be surprised how much I get that. Really? Like, your job is just to pray and read the Bible. It could well. be worse. I mean, as a youth pastor, they think my job is just, just to play video games and babysitter. <laughs> yeah. Video games and babysitter. So basically, I am a junior high. Right. That's my job. You're, you're, a, you're a 15-year-old is what you are, basically. Yeah. You're, you're not quite old enough to get a real job. <laughs> right. You know how many times I, I get that question now that I'm in my 30s? They're like, okay, so when are you going to become a real pastor? And I'm like, right. Yeah. About that. Right. <laughs> Zero desire. Zero desire. Man, you just keep throwing that out in the universe. Go ahead. I dare you. Go ahead. Just keep throwing that out there. Oh, God and I have a, have a good dialogue. That's good. Cause, you know, I said the same thing 12 years ago. Oh, I know you did. And I, I still, have that that concept like there is no way I should be a pastor. This God is is pulling some sort of prank on the church of Snyder because they've got Ryan. <laughs> Poor fools. Well, God's really mad at the church, so I sent you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Just call me retribution. That's right. I will show them. That's right. I really liked the uh contrast that the writer here had between the the path of the wickedness and the, the path of the righteous in that what I got from it is really the the wolf you feed prospers, right? So the, the one you take more of is the one you're going to seek after more often. So at the end, it says, make sure you stay on the path. Just look forward. Don't, don't veer off. Don't, don't do these other things. Just stay on the path. Just trust that what you're doing is is the right direction and that following after God is the best thing for you because it is. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's that there's so much truth in that because the more light we get, the more we desire that. And you see that in believers all the time. Whenever they they get that taste 
of of God, whenever they get that taste of that grace and that that forgiveness and what it is to be in a relationship with God, it, it becomes something completely new to them. It's not just a routine. It, it's something that they desire so very much and pursue after with so much passion. But when you when you seek after the the things of the dark, again, you just continue to try and seek after that. So for me, that that touched me tremendously in reading through this because it it speaks so much to the way that we live as as human beings and in our culture is we have this this culture of of do whatever makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. As long as it makes you feel good, just go after it. And and that's the way that, that we live our lives. And it's that perpetuation of darkness. It's that that, okay, I'm just gonna fill myself with what I know or what I've been used to. But it's such a blessing as a pastor to see that individual get that taste of the light Mm -hmm. because it completely changes who they are. You know, you're you're so right. But, you know, I'll go back to that deal. It's it's so hard to keep believers moving forward if they don't know which direction that is. And you're going to get that direction from the word. Right. And if you don't, and, you know, there there are three things that, that, that I say all the time. If you will stay in your word, learn how to pray. And I say learn because, you know, for me, prayer did not come natural to me. I'm a, I'm a doer by nature. Right. You know, kneeling down and praying is a good way to put me to sleep. Uh, it was, I had to it's learn. time activity. <laughs> I had to learn how to pray and, uh, and, and, and making sure I become a part of the body of Christ. You know, not outside of the body, not visiting the body, but being coming up, becoming a part of the body. Yeah. If I will stay in my word, learn how to pray and become a, a part of the body of Christ then I will keep moving forward. But far too often, you know, Bible is what he says on Sunday. Yep. And prayer is what I do just to say thank you every morning for letting me get up. And I visit the building on occasion. That will not keep me moving in the right direction. Right. And uh, um, so it's a challenge for all of us as, as church leaders. Oh, yeah. To try to, to, to instill those truths. And we, we do see good, solid, born-again believers. We do. You know, I think sometimes we focus in on those that are halfway in. And, to, to, you know, instead of concentrating on those that are all the way in. You know, but it does happen. And it's frustrating for sure. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Um, it, it comes back to when we very first started this podcast and we started going over Proverbs. It was that that concept of, you have to actively be seeking wisdom. And to do that as a believer, you have to do that through the word, through prayer, and through surrounding yourself with people who can give you that wisdom whenever you need it. Mm-hmm. And whenever you are, are you have your questions and, and you're needing answers and things of that nature. But it you have to actively do it. It's not just going to just fall into your lap just because you're sitting there. Mm-hmm. It has to be a, an action and it has to be something that you seek after. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that we've tried to talk about every week and encourage people is to seek out that wisdom, whether that's through this podcast or the church videos or being a part of a small group or finding a, a group of mature believers that you can surround yourself with that can can help build you up. It has to be something that you actively participate in. Absolutely. You know, I, I read, a, you made me think of an article I read. Uh, it was a minister who said, um, you know, with the small groups, we, we, we do that as well. He, he said, you know, the problem with some of the small groups is everybody will talk, goes around talking about what, what they feel like that text means, but who in the room actually knows what it really means? Right. And so sometimes people can actually lead, lead each other into deception. Right. You know, and that's, that goes back to, again, you know, with, with us. I mean, it's, a, you know, my hair is white and I'm 40-something years old. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's because... You know, what do I need to do to get you to study the word? Right. Study it mm-hmm. until you understand that the Holy Spirit reveals to you what he says in the text. Right. Not what I feel like he's saying, not what right. I not what I think he's saying. What is he speaking? Because this book is alive and the Holy Spirit wants to reveal truth. Right. You know, there's not my truth and your truth and their truth and whatever other the assembly of our truth and the Methodist truth. No, there's truth. You know, Jesus said, I am the truth and life. So 
you know, what do, what do we need to do to get? And then and as soon as you figure it out, put it in a bottle and I'll buy you. I'll buy a couple of bottles from it. <laughs> right. Well, and I think it all comes from the, you have to have solid leaders in those small groups. Yeah. If you don't have solid leaders in those small groups, those small groups are going to become uh, a, a, just a, a breeding ground for false teaching. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're but right. if, you, if you have a good leader who can say, okay, I understand that that's the way you feel. But if you look at it and you understand the context where it's coming from and you, you're really looking at the content of what's going on, then there's more to it than what you just feel. Mm-hmm, and right. this is what the word is saying. So take what you feel, match it with what it is saying, and, and see where you differ and then understand that just because this is the way you feel doesn't mean this is what it's saying. Yeah. Because we have a culture that they just, I'm telling you, it's, it's one of those things where you just, you close your Bible and then it's, it's that idea that, okay, if I just open it up, it's going to crack just right. And then that's the verse that God wants to tell me, you know? And so I'm going to read it and I'm going to read it out of context and I'm going to read it knowing absolutely nothing about what was said before or after. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to take it for what is said right there. Mm-hmm. And then they open up to the old Testament and, and they, they see the story of, um, uh, who was it? Uh, Balaam and the donkey. And, <laughs> Oh, well, that's what God had. Well, maybe, maybe you were the donkey. I, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Which was Balaam <laughs> in that context, if, you know, who <laughs> was so stubborn he, that he would not listen. Yeah. But, you know, they, they just take it and they don't know how to actually study it. Yeah. They don't know how to open their Bible and, and actually look at it and study it and, and learn what it is that God has for them from that scripture. Yeah. And so I think as a, as a church, we need to also do better at growing that ability in our, our congregation members. Well, and if you're that person the best way to do it is don't just read the one verse. I mean, if you, if you take John three sixteen, you're like, okay, great. I got it. I got it memorized. What does 14 say? What does 15 say? What does 17 and 18 say? Like yeah. what's the chapter before? What's the chapter after? What's five chapters before and five chapters after what, what led to this point? That's how you truly begin to start to understand the, the context because almost every chapter in the Bible starts with, and immediately okay, great. But why did, why did they immediately go? Like if you, um, one of my favorite, uh, passages is it's either Matthew or Mark five, um, where Jesus goes out into the wilderness to pray. But there was so much going on before that moment when he gets alone to pray. And sometimes you can read that and you're like, okay, great. So I just need to get alone and pray. But why did Jesus need to get alone and pray? Well, before that he went and healed a bunch of people and then after that, he immediately went over to Peter's house and healed, healed his mom. And by the way, all the people followed him into Peter's house. And so now they're in this packed house and Jesus has just been ministering over and over and over and over. And he's exhausted. What does he do? He gets up early in the morning when nobody else is around and he goes and prays. And then while he's praying, where are the disciples looking for him so he can go on to them? They're like, oh, there's more people that need to be healed. And Jesus goes, okay, sorry, got to go on to the next place. But there's so much context behind that. It wasn't just as simple as Jesus got up early and prayed. Because so many times the output of that is, oh, I need to get up at like three in the morning and go pray. Mm-hmm. But why? Why did Jesus need to pray? Why did he need to connect with the Father? What was going on? What was the purpose behind that? And I know that's just a quick off the top of my head kind of uh, example, but there's so much truth in that. We miss out on the context and so often we miss out on what God is actually trying to tell us in the moment. But you're going back to exactly what Proverbs 4 is all about. It's about a man who takes time to have a conversation with the son. And we're living in a day and age where we're, we're so busy. Yeah, we're in the same house, but that doesn't mean we live together. You know, yeah, we're in the same house, but that doesn't mean we talk. Right. Well, there's clothes that need to be washed. Or we're just on our phones. We're just on our phones, whatever the case may be. You know, and, and again, it's it's one man sharing the gifts that God had given him. And there's somebody else who's sitting there listening. And probably one of the reasons I don't have anything to share is because I've never sat to listen. And busyness, obviously, we all know, does not equal productivity. 
and um, the greatest gift I can give to my kids is a conversation. And that, that, that sharing my testimony, what God is doing in my life, you know, um, how God got me here. Because their journey is going to, the, the, the details of their journey is going to be completely different. But the thing that's going to be the same is when I didn't know where to go, I found somebody who would show me the way. And when I couldn't open a door, I knew who to go to who could open the door. And when life had its conflict, I knew when it was time to get away to go pray. Right. You know, and, and it, it, it all goes back, you know, those disciples that are panicking. Hey, we got more stuff to do. We got more stuff to do. Man, isn't that us today as church leadership? There's stuff to do. There's stuff to do. There's stuff to do. Yeah. Jesus is like, you know what? There's always going to be stuff to do. But we need to go on and find a place to pray. And then we need to go on to something new. You know, staying up with what God is doing in the moment. Because even just sitting here talking about all the needs in our churches, man, I'm exhausted already. <laughs> right. Okay. So to, to close out, um, because I, I feel like we're all leaders in, in the church, it, you know, in some some capacity, whether you feel yourself a, is a is a leader or not, we are all leaders in the church. Mm-hmm. Every one of us at the table. So my, my question is, is, is there someone in your life that you have that you go and seek wisdom to? And, and if so, what does that look like for you? How do you do that? How do you participate in that so that we can, <laughs> so that we can kind of, kind of let, let everyone else know this is how we gain wisdom. Maybe you can receive wisdom in, in figuring out the ways that we do it. So, I know Leslie is is, giggling. is <laughs> Yeah, she brought hers to work with her. That's right. Bring, bring your mentor to work day. <laughs> it usually starts out with me calling going, Steven. <laughs> That's how we start. <laughs> do you hey, follow that with what you do? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, that's not a place to sit down. <laughs> no, it's, it's just a sigh and a slump. And then he will. He will listen, and he will listen, and then he will say, what does the word say, Leslie? Proof that what Stephen said earlier That's is right. true. Right. He's not just hes not just saying whatever's off the top of his brain. We have proof right so, here. So the question is, is, have you learned so far in that when you call Stephen, you need to have an answer to that question. Well, well you see... I went to the Bible, and this sometimes, is what it says. Sometimes it goes that way, and sometimes I'm like, no, I'm too mad. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nobody got time to read those words. Come on, Stephen. It's what you're here for. That's a big book. You just gave me the summary. I opened it up, and it said Balaam. <laughs> it said, call Stephen. <laughs> She's written that on every page. Every page in her Bible. She took time to do that. No, but he's, he's very good at redirecting me. I don't know that, I mean, he does give me advice, but he does ultimately say, this is where you have to go. This right. is what you have to do. Right. And it has to... If it doesn't go back to the word, then it's not anything to worry about. Right. It's not. So. And you flipped that really well. So you're not too big on letting everyone know the things that you're struggling with, but you're good at letting everyone know where your solutions came from. And you'll share that on your social media, just as you're talking, as you're walking through life. And so I think that's really cool that um, you're also someone who gives. Not makes you yeah, I think about how many people, you know, just at the block who look to you as a spiritual leader that maybe don't go to church anywhere else, and you get to be that opportunity. Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> <Or> kids. <laughs> Thank you, though. Of course. David, who's yours? Um, I've got several. Um, it depends on the situation. Um, if it's worship, um, I've got several people I, I reach out to. Um, lately, though, um, it's been interesting. I found a guy that kind of checks every box for me. Uh, his name is Will Patterson. He's a uh, graphic designer uh, in um, North York, Yorkshire area. Probably shouldn't have said that out loud. Um, he's kind of <laughs> famous. Um, people don't need to know where he lives. Anyway, um, but uh, I will find him. <laughs> he's uh, he's an incredible guy who he 
helps out with the youth of his church. He's on the worship team. Um, he's an incredible graphic designer. Um, we, it started us just talking graphic design. Uh, but as we started learning more about each other and he found out as a youth pastor, it was like, Oh great. Let's have, let's have spiritual conversations. And now we'll pick up the phone and graphic design won't even get brought up. It'll be, Hey, so what's God doing in your life? And so he's a guy who understands the worship aspect, the youth aspect, the church aspect, the design aspect, um, being a husband, um, one day he'll have a kid and we'll be able to talk about that too. <laughs> and so here lately, he's been, he's been kind of my go-to guy on everything. Incredible. And I've only met him in person once, which is pretty cool. Natalie, who you got? Y'all. Really, all of y'all. It's, it's incredible. I'm so new into ministry. And I've gone to church my whole life, but it's so different now. And I just, I overthink everything. One word just turns into pages and pages of what it could mean. And so, like, learning about the context of story and reading before and after has been good but hard. It's so consuming. So I just go to you guys because I like the perspective. I've got some ministry under your belts, some life under your belts, um, solutions under your belts. And so it's just it's nice to go to you guys. I would go to my grandma a lot before I started ministry. She's very biased because I'm her granddaughter. And so sometimes I want the truth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I want it, want it to hurt just a little bit, and she won't do that for me. So I go to her when I want to be Quit giving me cookies, grandma. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Nice. So mine are always the the same two. And one of them started in, in the very beginning of my relationship with Jesus. And his name's Gene Hutchins. And he was my youth pastor. And he was my youth pastor from uh, seventh grade to like 11th grade. And then he, he moved and, and took a position somewhere else. But just from my infancy of, of knowing nothing in scripture, to where I was whenever I graduated from high school was insane just because he took time and, and dedicated his time to making sure that not only did his students know what scripture said, but they knew how to participate in it. So he took us all kinds of different places. We went and served in, in a mission capacity in Utah at a Navajo reservation. We went to Abilene to mission Abilene and we were homeless for a day and that was that was nuts we dumpster dived and we went with the homeless and we fed the homeless and we we visited different areas and it was it was just crazy but that whole time in that that five-year span it was just showing us what scripture has to say and what that means for how we live and so for him he's he's my person that i call and another one is uh my best friend his name is david lee and he's a pastor in long and so anytime I'm struggling, anytime I'm frustrated, I call him. Like I just, I, I go ahead, I'll text him, I'll call him, I'll FaceTime him, it doesn't matter. I'll send him a message on Facebook. And no joke, maybe within five minutes he'll respond. Like it is almost instantaneous. If, if I call and he's not able to answer, I will never go a full day without hearing from him. And so for, for me, it's, I think the best thing that we can do as believers is knowing who that person is. Mm -hmm. And I feel like our church members need to find those people. If they don't have that person, they need to try and, and find out who that is for them. If it's your pastor, that's great. If it's not, that's okay too. Mm -hmm. But find a, a, a foundationally solid believer that you can seek wisdom from. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the truth is none of us can have more than six meaningful relationships and some some say you can't even have six that you really want to have three right i'll think i have one three but i have five kids and a wife and right. <laughs> right you know any meeny miny two of you are out <laughs> doesn't mean i don't love you but Sorry, we're gonna guys. have to sell you that's, that's right. right that's right find a good family he'll be okay that's right um you know but that that, that really is the truth you know that you know even as, as, as a minister you can't have that kind of relationship with everybody. And, you know, you're going to have to find somebody, you know, and, and, and this, it goes back to what you were saying earlier about developing those kinds of leaders, you know, those kinds of people in the church that, I think it was uh, Robert Morris that said you can't manage more than three people at a time. Right. And when they restructured Gateway, that's, he made sure that nobody was overseeing more than three people at any given time. Right. 
obviously not all of us are there and can do that, you know, but, um, you know, it, it's definitely a goal that, that, you know, we can make sure that, you know, we're not trying to be mentors to too many people right. because it, you're not, you're not going to be effective, hard part of that problem with anybody. Right. So, um, yeah, you know, you know, for me early on, it was, uh, I just, I had a grandfather that I learned a lot from when he passed away, you know, I went into ministry so early, I was 19 when I went into ministry. So, I mean, it, I was here in Snyder. And so I, I haven't had a pastor since I was 18. So, I mean, it's just, um, I didn't have that opportunity to really be mentored. And so, you know, there were people that I just watched from a distance. Um, I read anything I could get my hands on, but, you know, really I just tried to read the Bible, you know, as much as I possibly could. And it wasn't until I was older that I realized, man, I need to help with this thing. It was when I got older that I realized, man, I need to get a hold of some people. And so now I have people that I can sit with, it depends on who it is, you know, what the situation is, as to who I'll call. But I definitely, and I'm all about giving advice now. The older I get, the more I'm sure I am of how much I don't know. Right. You know, and, uh, and so I've, I've learned over the years to, to reach out. So it's yeah. important. It is. It's good. All right. Any other thoughts? That's all I have for my questions. That's all I have. Oh, no, I did have one more thing. I did want to point this out because it, it just piqued my interest. I, I, I really in it. I don't I don't know why it just just <coughs> jumped out, but. Uh, in in reading Solomon's description of those who were um, wicked, it said that they ate and drank from the bread and wine of wickedness, and I, I just love that because it, it automatically made me think of the Lord's Supper and the the eating and drinking of of the bread and the the wine and and what that means in our relationship with God. And so I just wanted to point out that parallel. So really random aside, but it was something that really kind of stuck out to me and something that I, I wanted to make a comment on because um, it kind of goes back to that concept of, of what you're feeding yourself on is, is what will grow inside of you. Mm -hmm. And so if you're eating on the bread and wine of wickedness, then that is what's going to grow inside of you. But if you're eating on the bread and wine of Jesus, then that's what's going to grow inside of you. Mm -hmm. So something that just kind of popped out in, in my brain whenever Didn't I was going one. through it. So homework for this week. <laughs> that's right. Pay attention to what you take in. That's right. That's right. Garbage in, garbage out, right? Yeah. Awesome. Any other comments, questions, concerns? Everybody good? I'm good. Thank you for letting me come today. Thanks hey, for course. Thanks like for I said, anytime. Seriously, you just get this this random itch that you want to be a part of the Methodist podcast. <laughs> you just give us a call. Oh yeah. We Show have a chair for you, man. That's right, that's right. That's right. Every Wednesday, 10 a.m. We record it and then we put it out on Thursday. Amen. I appreciate that. Sometimes on Wednesday if I can. That's right. <laughs> so Thanks for coming and, and participating, man. We right, appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Y'all have a good day. We'll see y'all later. Reading through the scripture together and